verse, just one verse here this morning that we're going to concentrate on and uh, start off this series. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You may be seated. Father, we thank you that we have the word of God. It is a, it is a very blessed thing to us, Lord. You did not uh, save us and then just leave us to guesswork, to try to know who you are, to understand your redemptive plan from the beginning of history. You have given us a book, Lord, your book, your inspired book, your word, so that we may know you, Lord, and understand your redemptive plan. Lord, we are grateful for that. Lord, most religions are left to some stone God with no plan. Some God that's dead, that cannot breathe, cannot hear, cannot see, cannot speak. Some form of uh, deity that does not exist, Lord. And what exists are the writings of men who lie. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for the word of God, the Bible. And Father, we want to be a church that preaches from the Bible, sings from the Bible, lives our life from the Bible. We want to parent, marriage, live our jobs, Lord, out from the Bible. Lord, we would confess that there is an invasion into our minds and hearts at times from the world. And Lord, we want to prove that your word of God is adequate, more than adequate. It is sufficient for life and godliness today. And so we pray that you would bless your word. May your spirit accompany the preaching of it. May it grip us, grab us, and challenge us, Lord, to be men, women, boys and girls of the word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are, um, we are grateful for the word of God. And you know as a church we are strong on what we call Christocentric teaching, Christocentric ministry, meaning we believe that Christ is the center of all things. So as elders of the church, when we get together, we constantly examine where is Christ in this ministry? How are we handling Christ? Is he the center of what we do? So when we get to the word of God, it's not as though we divorce ourselves from that thinking. In fact, just in the, as far as an introduction, I want to prove to you that, that you can't divorce the word of God from the word of Christ or, or a Christocentric life as a believer. And the Bible talks about this a lot. We find verses such as this. You can just jot these down and look at them later. Um, Revelations chapter 13, verse, excuse me, verse 19, verse 13. He, he, Christ, is clothed with a robe dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So Christ's name is called the Word of God. Listen further with me. Uh, we know these verses because we just preached John. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so his name given to him here on earth is the Word, the Logos, the, uh, the, he, emp- the empowerment of all things, the, the knowledge of all things. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what well, we have looked and in touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's speaking of Jesus. And he's writing the word of God. John's speaking of Christ and he's writing the word of God. You can't divorce the two. 
In fact, as we proclaim the gospel, verses we love like this, Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ is actually the correct translation of that verse. The word of Christ. So, so he is the word, he's the living word, he's the, the living word who came to set us free, and he gave us the, the written word. And we'll see today that Christ holds to the scriptures. He quotes them as the authority for our life. One more verse just to think about, Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So he speaks of the word of God, Paul here, the words of Christ. This is his book. This is his story. This is his outline of who he is, the redemptive history for us. So the Bible is extremely important to what we do. And we hold to this. And so we thought we would run a little series um, for a few weeks just to remind us, right in the middle of summer with the busyness of vacations and vacation Bible school and, and just all the craziness that goes on in our life to remind us how gorgeous the word of God is. And I'm right up front with you. I want you to leave here loving the scriptures more than when you came in. That is my goal. And I want you to read them and entrust them. I want you to download an app when you get done that'll pop up every morning to say, read me. Because I believe it'll change your life. It'll change your marriage. The word of God will not return void. So let me look at three thoughts just coming out of this beautiful, massive verse here. All scriptures inspired by God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness. Number one, scriptures are the precise and divine and gracious product of God so that man may know him. Let me say that again. It's on the back of your blue sheet or green. The scriptures are the precise, divine, and gracious product of God so that man may know him. Now, when you look at this word inspired here in your English text, it, it is a word that comes from a Latin word that really falls short of really the meaning. So the English word conveys the idea coming out of this Latin word is the lifting up of something that already exists. That's the idea of it. The Greek word is theosnutas. Can you say that with me? Theosnutas is the Greek word. It is a word that we translate God breathed. But what does that mean? I mean, you kind of get to try to get your mind around this. What does that mean? What does it mean God breathed? Well, here this Greek word, theosnutas, means it conveys this idea that God initiated, that he was actively involved. There was effort that he put into giving us the scriptures. And so we would say this, that scriptures are the product of God. They're not the product of man. They're not the product of the church. They're not a product of a collective, of a collective um, intelligence, Christian intelligence down from the years. They are the product of God. It contains the substance of him in here. We begin to understand that the word of God is giving us the understanding of the essence and substance of who God is to direct us in our lives. So with this word gets us the idea that that it took effort. God put effort into it. Let me explain. God breathed. Um, some of you, law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, all of that, um, you've had the probably sad uh, uh, experience of seeing somebody die. And if you see somebody die, if you're there long enough, their bodies will begin to go cold. 
You are warm today, hopefully at 98.6, not running a 102. If you are, you should leave and go home. Um, uh, 98.6, because your body breathes. It's working. It's breathing. It's creating energy. Your muscles are alive because the body is breathing. The idea here is that God took energy. He breathed God's word. It's his product. This is something he made, he developed, he gave to us. Now, certainly, if God wanted us to know everything about him, we would have a problem, right? Because at the end of John, John said that just if we recorded all that Jesus did, certainly the world would not contain the books, let alone trying to understand God. Now, that's what eternity is about. Do you understand that? God has given us everything we need for life and godliness right in this manual. And you and I will spend all of eternity understanding, growing, getting our conception of God never ending, never stop being wowed at who God is for all of eternity. But right now, he gave us all that we can handle. Does anybody want to stand up here and tell us that they got the Bible figured out? I have spent the greater portion of my life studying the word of God. This week, over and over, I came to passages and I go, I've never seen that before. I didn't, I, I, I never saw that. I, that thought that developed, that understanding from that text just overwhelmed me. And I read it a hundred times. What, what book does that? Anybody want to take on war and peace for the rest of your life? Sooner or later, you're going to figure out what war and peace is about. If you can get through it. They're not inspired. They're not a product of God. They're a product of man. So they're full of errors. Though good at times, good books are out there. I gave you two that I'd like you to read. But they're not scriptures. They're God. This is God breathed. Listen to B.B. Warfield, a great uh, preacher at Princeton. He, he was a great man way back when Princeton was a Bible college, a, Bible, a seminary. It's not now, so don't go there. Um, uh, this is years ago. Edwards later became the president of Princeton. But B.B. Warfield wrote this. He says, it is breathed out by God, speaking of the scriptures. It is the product of the creative breath of God, the creative breath of God. When Paul declared then that every scripture or all scripture is the product of divine breath, he has searched with much energy and he could employ that the scripture is the product of a specially divine operation of God himself. Packard says this, J.I. Packard, another great man who's still alive today, he starts with this, explaining this God breathed. He, he, he quotes Psalm 33, 6, which says this, by the breath of his mouth. So the thought here is just as God made the heavens of the host, though he, through his own creative fiat, his own power, his own strength, his own person, so we should regard the scriptures as a product of a similar fiat, let there be law, let there be prophets, let there be writing. He, he breathed and we have the word of God. It is the product of our almighty God. Let me give you a little more human example that may help you see this. Genesis chapter two, turn there with me. Genesis two, seven. And in today's DNA, you may have to search on your iPad or your phone that you're following along, but still the word of God Go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. So we're talking about a product of God, the breath of God, 
God's creative breath, God can create through his breath. We know he, in Genesis 1, he spoke creation to existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He just spoke, and it was there. He has the authority, he has the power. He is God, he can do all those things. So chapter 2 of Genesis is the commentary of chapter 1, particularly of day 6. So in verse 7, he's got a forming of a man. Then God, the Lord God, Yahweh God, formed man of the dust from the ground. Now look at this. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So you can see the scene. I really want to see the replay on this. He forms man out of dirt. So don't think too highly of yourself. And then in his creative power, his position as God, who breathes life, and this man stands up. Uh, just phenomenal. And then he says, it's not good for you to be alone. There's nothing like you in creation. Nothing. You've named everything. You've seen everything. Puts him to sleep, takes a rib out of him, creates woman, and says, hey, I got somebody for you. And he says, whoa, man. She's like me. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. See, I'm trying to prove to you the creative powerness of God. And you, though, we got, a, we got a baby coming. And there's another baby coming out here, I know. Life is born. You've been there. Some of us men are on the other end. And we go, this is incredible. Out of the womb of my wife comes another life. It's astounding. It was some of the greatest days of my life were the birth of my four boys. And to realize that God is the giver of life, that it's, this is his product, this is what he does. He gives life. And it's why we fight and teach and hold to the truth of Scripture for the unborn because it's a product of God. God has the authority to produce. And he does this for his glory. They go, well, that's great. There's Adam and Eve, and there's a great instruction why we stand against abortion. But what about me? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 2. Because the same thing happened to you. You may not have been in the Garden of Eden, but you may have been in Hollister or somewhere around the world, and God breathed life into you. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. He's laid out the theological position of depravity. You're dead. You're dead. Just get that through your head. You're dead when you're not saved. He's trying to teach us that. You don't have any spiritual pulse. You don't have a relationship with God. In fact, the only relation you have is with Satan. He runs the, the life and the souls of the unbelievers. But there's a point in time when God shows himself to us in verse 4 is this great conjunction, adverse of conjunction, but God, he turns away from showing us all this wrath that we're set against God. Depravity is on full on, but God who is rich in mercy because he loves us. And then verse 5, look at this. And even when we were dead, I, I got to get this word across. Do you know what dead is? It means no life. You did not have a little hole of goodness in you beating away while the rest of you was deprived. You were dead. Even while we, you and me, 
Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ were dead, past tense here, in our transgression. That's a willful sin against God that born into sin. He made us alive together with Christ. We're a product of God. He breathed into you. Do you remember that date when you came to know Jesus Christ and he, and you go, Jesus died for me. That's true. He died for me. And all of a sudden, this realization that you, that you come to this knowledge that Christ died on the cross for your sins. He took them away. You have eternal life. You're free from them. You're no longer a slave to sin. Do you remember that day? God breathed into you. And you became his product. You're his. And he gave you life. It's called regeneration. He regenerated you. And the same is true of the scriptures. And my point is that God can do this. And this is why I want you to hold very dearly to your Bibles, to the word of God. See, a lot of people out there going, Jesus, 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 Jesus is everything. True? True. Can you show me a verse about that? Nope, I can't show you a verse. I just believe Jesus. You can't divorce our life in Christ from the word of God. And sooner or later, whether you... What you do with Jesus gives fruit of whether you really are following him. Jesus would never want you to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't depend on the word of God. Or, I don't think the Bible is relevant for today's marriage issues, particularly the way the world is viewing them today. You can't divorce those. Christ never did, and we should never ourselves. So these scriptures that we hold... They possess a quality that is self-evident. God is God. There's self-adhering power. There's a power to them. They can change life. God has breathed truth into them. He's breathed life into the word of God. They are alive, and they can change your life. We'll see that in verse 15 towards the end of the message. There's self-vindicating quality of the scriptures. The scriptures vindicate one another. You go, well, Scott, why do you drag us around 100 scriptures? I can't even keep up with them. People go, I'm trying to write. What was that one on this or that? I'm sorry about that. But our goal is to show you that the scriptures interpret scriptures. We don't take a verse out and go, hey, here's this verse. Let's make our life around it. Now, you may have a live verse. I have lots of them. But I promise you, I can take my live verse and show you 100 others that support it. Because scripture vindicates scripture. Scripture authors our salvation. Scripture gives us the knowledge of who God is. Because they are uniquely distinguished that God is at the center of all of them. Notice in our text, if you go back to 3.16, it says that all scripture is inspired. All scriptures. You go, come on, Scott. I've been reading the Old Testament. There's a lot of blood and guts in there. There's rape and murder. There's all kinds of stuff in there, man. I mean, some of it's R-rated. I've had parents say, you know, I was reading out of, you know, Chronicles with my kids, and I had to skip some of it. There's some pretty tough stuff in there, isn't there? You know why it's there? You know why God, God breathed that into there? So you know how wicked man is. People always want to say, oh, the Bible's not a very good book because it has murder and all this stuff. And I go, that's actually right. It has all that stuff in there because that's who we are. And every time you read that passage, whether you ever committed any of those sins that you read in there, you were fully capable of it. And God saves people. 
what do you like David's life because David was a great king? Or do you like David's life because God put on display for all of time for us to say, see his wicked deeds he did and how God forgave him? If you just like power and strength and all that David did, you can find some of that in there. But most of the life of David is based on a lot of his failures. Sons that rebel, children that die. All of that comes from sin. And then you see the great repentance that David had. And you realize God writes to this, gives us all of this, so we understand him. He is a God who can forgive. He's a God who can save. He's a God who can change the life. And so we read all of the scriptures. I I, I don't know what hit me. I just decided to start reading passages of scripture for our scripture reading. And then I got to one like this morning. Hmm, we're going to read everybody about widows. It's good. We should read. And and what I'm trying to show you is we don't skip things. We We go through verse by verse, word by word. Because all scripture is inspired. There's no distinction between spiritual and historical. I want to explain this. There's, the Bible doesn't have a distinction between the spiritual words of God, oh yeah, those ones that make me feel good, and historical things that happen. They're all inspired. They're all inspired. And you read the Bible, and you may say, man, I was overwhelmed in Romans 5, 8, when it reminded me that while I was still a sinner, while I was still a wretch, set aside from God, not having a relationship, while I was still in that position, Christ came and died for me. And man, does that make me feel good. It makes me feel great. But then there's historical accuracy in the scriptures. And they are every bit inspired as those other passages. For instance, um, Bob and Glenn and William, their home group is going through the book of Daniel, right? You guys learning a lot? Now, the book of Daniel is despised by many liberal theologians. In fact, it is torn down by historical people. And here's why. They can't believe it's true because six centuries before something happens, it's so written, so detailed, the kingdoms that will come, the kingdoms that will fall, the people that will be empowered, and those who will be crushed. It's written so accurate before those, uh, those events ever take place that they say there's no way that can be true. It cannot be written in the sixth century B.C. It has to be, it has to be between um, testaments. They don't like Isaiah. Isaiah, 150 years before the fall of Jerusalem, writes with exacting uh, instruction of what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. 150 years. Why their false prophets are going, oh, hey, eat, drink, be merry, everything's great. Isaiah's going, it ain't great. There's one coming to crush you. See, they don't like that. See, we believe that the Bible is inspired all of it, both historical and spiritual parts of it. We love the spiritual parts. We sing of the spiritual parts. But yet we, speak, we sing of the histo- histo- history of it um, in that we sing he was raised from the dead. We, we sing that today. Ron led us in a song. He said he was raised from the dead. That is the history. We know that to be true, but yet that's very spiritual. It has great significance to us because if he's not raised from the dead, Paul says, we will not be raised either. So all scriptures encompass all the Old and New Testament. Now, Jesus does things like this. Matthew chapter 22, verse 29. He says this, but Jesus answered them. They're trying to trap him. 
And he says, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures, nor the power of God. Now, that's a very important verse for Bibliology. Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. you're mistaken, you don't understand the scriptures, nor the power of God. So what he says in equality, now this is a very important verse when you defend the scriptures, is the scriptures are the power of God, and the power of God are the scriptures. He puts them together, he links them to be true. So think about that in a moment. You hold in your hands the very power of God, the product, the very power of God in your hands for life and godliness. Now, these aren't, you know, a Harry Potter thing. Zap. They help you understand who the God you serve and bow down before is. They help you realize, I have a God that knows everything in me, every cell, every fiber, He knows the person in the cubicle next to me that loves to persecute and torture me. He knows the situation I'm in maritally or with my children. And he has the power to give me the strength to go through it and to get me through those things. See, the Pharisees and the religious leaders looked at the scriptures and they said, okay, those are good things, but we need to add to them. And so what'd they do? They added a tradition for every day of the week I mean, every, every day of the year, 365 traditions, they added to the scriptures. Jesus says, you're mistaken. You're missing the power of God. The scriptures say in words that God wants to say. He wants us to hear these things. We must read them. Scripture is an inerrant historical record of God's acts of revelation and records of what God did to make himself known to man. Can you imagine Adam? What was his first words? He tells us, he breathed life from him, he sat up. Well, what did he do next? Well, read it. Genesis chapter two, go read what he did next. Read how he put him in a garden. Read how he brought all the animals and let him name them. Read how he gave him the great gift of Eve to him. Read how they rejected God and believed the words of Satan. Read how he first, the first thing he does is says, I'm gonna redeem you. I'm gonna crush that one's head and I'm gonna bring a seed. Read the Bible. Understand that it is historically significant for our lives today. Scripture is a revelation. It's the acts of God recorded for us. God is bearing witness to himself. See, that alone makes Scripture phenomenal. I could go to court and say, I'm going to swear by myself. They're going to toss me out. You can't swear by yourself in court. But God can. Because he's perfect and holy in all things. Let me just give you a few examples. Just listen. Genesis 2, 24 says this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the great gift of marriage in the Bible. It's man, woman, of course, and it is God laying down the rules for marriage. He is initiating. He is joining these two together. He's, he has the first wedding service in the garden. Jesus speaks of this. Listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 19, verse four and five. And he answered and said to them, they're trying to trap him on a wedding question, on a marriage question, and Jesus takes them on. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father's mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, what it is, is Jesus is quoting God. Isn't that amazing? Here, the Lord Jesus is quoting. So scripture speaks as God speaks. He says, have you not 
heard? So scripture speaks to us. Have you not heard, you guys, you think you're so religious? Have you not heard what God said? See, Jesus is saying you need to listen to the word of God. It's speaking to you. The human author is referred to as God who speaks. Listen to this verse. Psalms 95, 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. So we don't know who this author is. Could be David, could be one of the choir leaders um, there in the, in the scriptures. But we don't know who wrote Psalms 95. But here he says, today, if you will hear his voice. Whose voice are they hearing? They're hearing the guy speaking it. If you will hear this. And then listen, this verse is requoted in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Listen to this. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear my voice. So Psalms 95, verse 7 is quoted in Hebrews verse chapter 3, verse 7, and it says, did you hear what the Holy Spirit said? You go, didn't the psalmist say that in Psalms 95? Not that the scripture says, did you hear what the Holy Spirit said? See, it's equating scripture with God's words. They're God's words. They're given to you so you may know him. The scripture is referring to, some, to, to saying something when really God says it. So it speaks in its authority. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus says, did you not read the scriptures? I am the stone that was rejected. See, it's authoritative. It's finality. Jesus says in Luke 24, 46, and he said to them, thus is written, thus it is written that Christ should suffer. It's it's got authority to it. It has finality to it, uh, fulfillment to it. Um, Matthew chapter 26, verse 54, how then will the scriptures be fulfilled? Verse 56, but this all took place to fulfill the scriptures. So God's word is the product of God. It's precise, it's divine, and it's gracious. As we read it, so he'll reveal himself to us. Second thought here. We'll move along a little quicker here. The question is not whether the scriptures are sufficient in all things, I think, I think most of us, most of, anybody here says the scriptures are insufficient because I need to talk to you afterwards. But most of us probably understand this. We believe that the scriptures are sufficient. We have a cerebral understanding of that, right? I've heard this before. I know this passage, Scott. Let's move on. But listen to the rest of my statement here. But rather, will we allow the word of God to be our standard in all things? See, that's now where the rubber meets the road. See, we probably all believe and hold to the doctrinal statement of Grace Bible Church that we believe the scriptures are sufficient. The question is, do we believe them on Monday? Do we believe them in during marriage problems? Do we believe them when we're raising children? Do we believe them when there's conflict in the church? See, see, this is what we have to go to, and this is the problem. If you look, just look back at chapter two. This is not new to us, what we've gone through. It, Churches go through problems. Look at verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul challenging his young Padawan here. He's sent out to Ephesus. Um, he's pastoring the church he started that has tremendous amount of problems. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. 
Well, how do you do that? Handle the word of God right, is what he says. Look at that in verse, into verse 15. Accurately handling the word of truth. How do you prove yourself to be a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed when Jesus shows up? You take the word of God and you cut it straight. Well, man, we're in Bible study and we're going to be t- teaching on this passage. And I, just, I know if I teach on it, everybody's going to leave. You teach it. You teach it full of truth and love. You read your Bible full of truth and love and you understand that we cut it straight. We don't, you notice here at Grace, normally we, speak, we preach through book after book here because we don't want to just work our way around all the things we don't want to do. Ooh, duh, yeah, ooh. <laughs> we go, God, we want to know what you have to say about this. So, so look what happens. So here's Timothy being charged to be a workman and doesn't need to be ashamed by handling the word of God, but he uses an example of those who don't. Verse 16, but avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness, i.e., all the stuff that's not in the scriptures are going to destroy people's lives. The godlessness, the ugliness of the world, all this empty chatter that doesn't mean anything, stay away from that. Keep them in the word. That's what changes their lives. Look at verse 18, drop down. He identifies some men in verse 17. There are times to call people out who mishandle the word of God. We do that from time to time, not because we're trying to be arrogant, but because we want to expose that your best life now is not a correct teaching. And Paul does that as well. But look at this, verse 18. Men, notice this, who have gone astray from the... I can't hear you. Truth. We we have to stick to the truth. See, there's a problem. There's a problem in Ephesus... There's a problem in the American church that we stray from truth. So we go back and say, what does the Bible have to say? What does the Bible have to say when when the rest of the world is saying marriage is no longer about men and women? Does the Bible speak to that? And how do we handle that? Graciously, lovingly, holding to the truth, loving those who are confused and lost in sin, Are we willing to say, yes, we're going to hold to this? Are we willing to believe all of the words of Scripture? Look, verse chapter 3, verse 1, difficult times are coming within the church. Remember, he's writing to the church here. Timothy, the, the, the pastor of it. But realize this, that in the latter days, the last days, that's the days we're in, ever since Christ ascended on high, we started this latter days. We're just a little farther along than Timothy was. Difficult times will come. Is the word of God still sufficient when difficult times come? We say, yeah. Okay, read verse two and see if you believe this. For men will be lovers of themselves. Is the word of God still sufficient? When men just absolutely love themselves, they don't care about you or anything else, it is about money, 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 money. Can you stand in this world and hold to the scriptures? Men will become lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. That's a product Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malice gossips, without self-control, brooders, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That is our society. Can you hold to the word of God in that society? Or do so many of us love to try to keep one foot in the world? Well, you know, you don't understand my job. 
You don't understand what I deal with. Do you think the Bible can't help you through that? I understand sensitivity. I understand not trying to pound people with truth. That's not what we're after. But we're holding to the word of God in a very changing culture. And if, folks, if we cave on the word of God, what are you gonna offer them? Be good? Santa's keeping a list? I mean, what are you left to? If we can't give them God's word in its entirety, if we can't stand behind this book and say we believe all of it from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, we believe it all. What are we going to give them? What are, they, what are you going to say when man comes and say, hey, what's going to happen? Is, it, is this world going to get worse? Do you know what the Bible has to say about that? Can you help them through that? Look, it gets worse. I want you to understand that Paul's trying to get us to hold to the scriptures during difficult times. Look at verse six. For among them are those who enter into households and take captive weak women weighed down with their sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. So, People will use portions of scriptures. They come in, they trap people. They, they get them to follow some false religion, some false man-made centered religion and drag them away from the truth. And, and here's the issue. You, you, you and I, we know the truth and we can go in with the rescue. We can go in with the, uh, the help they need. No, 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 that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't talk about you being good enough to inherit your king, the kingdom of God. Let me, let me show you what the Bible says, how you can inherit the kingdom of God. Let me show you the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. You go, well, isn't this outside the world? No, it's in verse 13. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And, and, and it doesn't mean they're running around with little horns on their heads. Some of them are very slick. They dress right. They got the right language. They got it all going, man. They use Jesus' name. It's slick. Remember, they're imposters. You know, if you're an imposter, you don't walk into, you know, the bank and, hey, I'm here to rob everybody. Just get ready. You slip in, and just when that teller says, "Can I help you?" then you expose who you are. See, they're imposters. They're slick. Notice the church is struggling because look at verse chapter, chapter four, verse three. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Today is sound doctrine. I'll just be right up front. This is sound doctrine. This is the number one statement on our doctrinal statement is about the word of God. People aren't gonna endure this anymore. The Bible says there's a time coming, Timothy. There's a time coming, Grace Bible Church, when they're not gonna endure this any longer. I think it's already happened, but look at the rest of the verse. But wanting to have their ears Tickled. Does anybody know what that means? Tell me what makes me feel good. Tell me how great I am. Tell me how God really needed me. I mean, that's what happens today. And they all accumulate, gather, bring in all these people for themselves. Notice that word, for themselves. Teachers according to their own desires. Get rid of Manez. (laughs) Get rid of... Get rid of those people who really hold to the scriptures. 
They're making me feel bad. I don't want that. See, the compromising of the scriptures and the gospel is what's at stake. And, and you go, well, okay, I believe this, but, but what does this look like on Monday and Tuesday? Some of you have amazing jobs. Um, I mean, in this room, there's everything from teachers to salesmen to contractors to uh, law enforcement to, you just name it, it's in this room. And each of you have unique ministries that God set you to. He, he sent you there. You're, you're, you're sent there, and, and you are his representative. You are his um, missionary. You're, you represent the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God there. That's why he sent you there. You have to look at, if, if you don't start to look at your job that way, then your job becomes very hellish, very difficult. You have to see it. And you could say, well, why didn't I get your job? I'd like to switch with you every once in a while, if you don't mind. But I, God ordained the times and the seasons and the places of where he wants us to minister. And you need to remember that. You say, well, I'm at home. Great. That's a great, that is a great place for you to be. Ministering to your family, to your neighbors, to people in need. Realize that this is what God has sent you to. And then, then realize, God, I believe that all scriptures are inspired by God. They're profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. I believe that, God. And I want to lovingly speak the truth. Lord, give me opportunities on the job this week for something to come up. Let me, let me just, I, I, I've been in ministry a long time, but I cowboyed, I was in sales. I, I, I ha, God let me do all that before um, I went full-time in the ministry. And one of the ways I used to strike a conversation as, I'd be riding saddle to saddle next to some cowboys, and we'd be pushing cows out. And one of them would be talking about something. Whatever. And I would be praying all along the way, God, give me a door here. And they would say something along some line, and, and God would prick my heart. You have to know your Bible to be able to do this because you have to know the scriptures. And I say, hey, hey do you know the Bible has something to say about that? And they go, what? I go, yeah, the Bible has something to say about that. And they go, what does the Bible have to say about that? I'm preaching on my saddle looking for an opportunity to share what God's word has to say. Now, it may be something as simple as building a building or um, gaining wealth or whatever it may be. It may be something like that. But I promise you, if you're willing, it'll lead to the gospel. Eventually, they're gonna say, why are you into this Bible stuff? And you're gonna say, oh, that's another good question. Let me tell you. I'm a sinner. And Jesus forgave me. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. Can I share something of that with you? They may punch you in the nose. They may ride off. But you're going to go, Lord, thanks. I, maybe I got a little water on there, a little fertilizer maybe. <laughs> but I got to be involved. I got to stand for you today because I knew your word. And I could speak to that situation in the world that people don't think the Bible is relevant to. I could do that. Because I believe the Bible. Last thought. The scriptures are the perfect guide to ministry, life, and problems. The scriptures are the perfect guide for ministry, life, and problems. The Bible says here that all scriptures inspired by God, they're profitable for teaching. 
Psalms 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. That's Psalms 32, 8. What a great verse. Listen to it again. I will instruct you, and I will teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Oh, I love that verse. I absolutely love that verse. That means as I study God's word, maybe you're 15 minutes in the morning, you got a cup of coffee in your hand and you're, you're pouring over, you're starting to, I'm gonna read through the New Testament these last six months of this year, or I'm reading away that God is going to teach you through the word of God and he's gonna keep his eye on you. That's a great truth. Maybe you're at lunch sitting in your pickup reading the word of God, because I know a brother here that does that, his Bible stuffed on top of his pickup, on, his, on the front shelf of his pickup, and he pulls it off and he reads it, and he's, and he's there and he knows that God's gonna teach him what to do. And he's watching him. And he cares for him. See, the Bible's instructive, it's didactic by nature. It wants to instruct you, wants to guide you, wants to help you navigate, wants to bring you to greener pastures. That's what the Bible does. And to learn from God is very profitable. It's very profitable to learn from God. And, and literally, if I am a good pastor teacher to you, I'm teaching you the word of God. So in, in essence, I'm speaking for him. So I pray, Holy Spirit, take these words, pierce our hearts, pierce, pierce our ears, so we'll hear, carry this message. We need to hear from God this morning. That's, that's our goal every morning. If we, and if we preach the word of God, we can say that with authority. Notice that it also doesn't only teach, but it reproves. The Greek word means to expose error. To expose error. If you don't read your Bible, you will never see error in your life. And you'll be very difficult to live with. In fact, you'll kind of be a pain in the neck. Because you'll have it all figured out. I don't, I don't need anybody. Everybody's wrong, I got it right. Read your Bible and you're gonna come away. If you read it wanting to know what God has to say, there's times you're gonna come away and go, oh God, why would you save such a wretch? But I thank you that you did. I praise you that you did. I hold to you that you, that you love me and you, you reproof me and you see things in me that are not of you and your spirit says, hey, get it out. I live here. This is my place. This is my home. This is my temple. And you feel the Holy Spirit dealing with those things. Do not reject that when you read your Bible and you know God's saying, hey, son or daughter of mine, I don't want that in here anymore. Get help. Come to somebody who knows your Bible and say, please help me. My spirit doesn't want this in my life anymore. Live for the Lord Jesus. Notice it says that it's good for correction and for training in righteousness. Well, that's what the word of God does. Hebrews chapter four, you know this verse, verse 12. The word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And you read the Bible, it'll get you coming and going, right? You think you ducked that passage, oh, that's good for my wife. And wham, whoa, I got that one, didn't miss that verse in 25. Love your wife like Christ loved the church, ooh. See, it's sharp. And it pierces to the division of the soul. He wants to get deep into it. This is a good thing, not a bad thing. He wants to get deep into us and the joint and the marrow and is able to judge your thoughts and intentions of your heart and that's where the issue is. We have a heart issue, folks. And you go, well, Scott, my heart's been cleansed and saying, yes, it has. 
But Paul makes it very clear that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities. There's war going on, and they're using, they're attacking our flesh. The flesh wars against the things of the Spirit. So, Lord, I need a few tools. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I need the sword of the Spirit in my hand. That's the word of God. So I can defend against the wiles of the devil and my flesh. And let it cut deep. Let it be active. I love that active term about the Bible because it's not some archaic manuscript. It'll help you in business. Well, let me... I got pages and notes left. We'll get to them later. But let me end with, go back to our text and we'll end with verse 15. We got to end with this one. 2 Timothy 3.15. It's the verse previous to this that I wanted to remind you of the power of the word of God and close with this. Paul told him, look, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. Somebody did a good job of Timothy. In fact, we know it was his mom and his grandmother. Praise the Lord from moms and grandmas who love the word of God and say, listen, son, listen, grandson. Sit here on my lap and let me read the word of God to you. So look, he he says, you've known this from childhood. Hey, this takes in a lot of us in here. Many of us were saved early on. Some later in life, God has his purpose for all things. He says, you have known this, now look at this, which are able, have the power, are sufficient, you can, you can translate this word, to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Does anybody want to see people get saved? Use the Bible. Your experience is wonderful, but it gets people saved when you use the word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the words of Christ. Use the Bible. The word of God is powerful enough. Deutimos, it has the power, it has the authority enough. We get the word dynamite from that Greek word. It can bring the power, it can bring the rain into somebody's life. It has the ability to lead you to salvation. Don't think that your children are saved. Keep teaching them the word of God. Don't think your parents or grandparents or that neighbor because they watch some television show is saved. Keep sharing the word of God. Because you and I do not have the ability to look in the eyes or into the heart of somebody else and say they're saved. God knows that. So preach the word. Teach it to them. Look, the word of God can take dead people and make them alive. It's the best spiritual EMTs you've ever had. Show up with this baby and lay it on their chest and give them the old one, two, three. This is what changes lives. That's why we get so excited when we teach on the scriptures because we, we realize the American church particularly is moving farther and farther away from the whole scriptures. It's not what's in the Christian bookstores anymore. There's seven of this, 10 of that, 15 of this. Do three more of those. The Bible, read it. It'll change your life. Father, thank you for the scriptures. 
Lord, we get excited about this stuff. We know that someone at some time in our lives, Lord, shared the word of God with us. Maybe it was at a VBS, just like what's going to happen this week. A VBS, where they go and they learn a verse, Lord. A verse out of the Bible, and they go home and they quote it to their parents. And somebody gets saved. Because God, you have, you've sent others to plant and water and, and fertilize. And, and, and all of a sudden, Lord, the word of God opens the wellspring of life to them. And they are not thirsty anymore. And they're no longer hungry, Lord. Chasing things the world cannot, cannot quench. So Lord, cause us as moms and dads, children, Lord, our, our college and high school, particularly young men and young women in this building, God, I beg you to give them a hunger for the word. Lord, they are headed to a life so different than their parents. Culture is changing and wanting to drag them along, Lord. Lord, I beg you for their lives, Lord. I beg you for their love for the scriptures. Father, moms and dads and grandparents, we must model a love for your word. We thank you and we know that across the street, 50 children just heard the word of God taught to them. Burn it into their hearts, Lord, and press it upon their little souls, a need for Jesus and a love for an almighty God who displayed himself through the word of God to us. Father, cause us to be a church that hungers for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.